Welcome, welcome, welcome back to Bard's Backlog, episode number 15. I am the returning original host, Josh Gallegos, joined this week by the effervescent, the high quality, the choice, Jared Benson. <laughs> the choice. Hello, Jared, everyone. How you doing? Ah, dude, I'm so good after that lineup of compliments. How can I not be good after that? <laughs> Just got you grinning from ear to ear, right? This is Bard's Backlog, the ever-growing catalog of video games inducted into the Hall of Games. We are the gatekeepers and subsequent executioners of any video game candidate, including today's. Of course, you can look and listen to each of our themed podcasts to see which games have made it into the Hall of Games thus far, and I would encourage that you do so. Find us both on Twitter. I'm at Video Game Bard, and Jared is at Jared T. Ben. We appreciate your input and support. Actually, Jared, have you have you been still on your Twitter exile? What's yes, going on with that? I am still on my Twitter exile because uh, it was proving to be too much of a distraction. I would mm. open up my phone, and the first place I would go is Twitter. And you know, to be honest with you, like one of the biggest reasons I got off there is because I realized it wasn't good for. Uh, humility to be honest with you i would get frustrated that no one was listening and everyone on there was frustrated that no one was listening uh i did get some great engagement from big accounts and i loved having conversations with those people i don't regret that at all but i do feel like i don't know i expected too much of the app and for someone with no credentials that wasn't appropriate of me to do and i also wasn't Mm. putting on a professional face every day sometimes i'd get tempted to troll and i'd give in (laughs) so uh, that was that was part of the problem. It just wasn't super good for me in my personal development. I feel like a, a lot more leveled and, um, I don't know, balanced and centered without it. So uh, for now, I'm going to keep I'm going to keep without it. But I still get if you were to DM that account, I'd get an email that you did. So okay. feel free to f- feel free to do that. And I can reach out if, if y'all uh, choose to do that. And that'll be that we can do it that way. Is there a better place to potentially reach out to you? No, not really. I, I'm I'm kind of off most social media platforms anyway. But okay. uh, yeah, so sorry. <laughs> no, that's fine. Get a cleanse. Social media is like not indicative of real life, and I think a lot of people think it is. And it is just it can be enraging, it can be stressful, it can be demoralizing, um, and you can really make yourself miserable with it. So yeah, I think. Uh, it's admirable you gotta, that you're willing to take a cleanse like you are. Well, everyone's got to do what's best for them, and you got to realize that, like, hey, you know what? Maybe this isn't the best for me because I don't handle it well or or whatever else, and everyone's got to make that decision. So, yeah, yeah. That's, that's where I'm at. Twitter's like a, like, I, it's the doom scroller to the max for me. Like, I just, like, feed into the gloom and doom a little bit too much um, at times, and I've gotten better at it this last month or so, just, like, trying to keep it in moderation and staying away. I deleted it for a brief period and then got it back. Um, And really the main reason I have Instagram and Facebook is to promote this podcast, like to be honest. And then Twitter I have just for the occasional, like to see what people are talking about on whenever there's a new spike on stuff. Um, But a lot of the time, if there's not anything significant going on, it's just hate. Like it's just anger and frustration and, people like feeling like they can't be heard and that part of it can be i don't know bad for my psyche i guess 
So I've been trying to stay away from it a little bit more than that. You know, we originally had an email associated with the podcast. I don't remember which one I had set up for that, but maybe we should switch back to that. It's a little bit more cleaner, direct um, communication with yeah, the audience. Yeah, allows for long form too. Like I think when I think of right. sending someone a DM, I try to keep it short and sweet, you know. But uh, yeah, yeah, you know, absolutely. So maybe we'll look into that. Um, and other ways that you can support the podcast other than by reaching out to us um, on social media for now, maybe an email later. You can support the podcast by giving our social media posts a like, following us there on your podcast service of choice, and by dropping a review for us on Apple Podcasts. And really, that review is indeed valuable. I haven't checked in a while to see if anyone's written anything. I don't think I get any notifications for that, so I'll have to jump in and see if there is anything new there. Um, it had been a while since the last one when I last looked. But nonetheless, if you want to support us, that would be a great way to do so. Also, last week, I launched my Red Pixel podcast with my wife. Be sure to check that out. Just got approved for Google Play. I think that was the last service that the podcast was waiting to get approved for. So it is now officially available on every podcast service little different from Bard's Backlog. It's uh, the news industry, the gaming news industry, without the agenda. And just breaking down what's going on, breaking down the top stories, uh, what games are coming out, stuff like that. So give it a listen. Doing Absolutely. that with my wife, which is very interesting. I am like her sensei, and she is my Padawan uh, throughout the whole thing. So interesting. L- slightly different vibe. Me and Jared kind of come at a... I don't know, equal measure here. It's like two bulls facing off on the planes. Uh, and the Red Pixel Pocket is just a little bit different just because my wife, she's she's kind of a, a newbie to a lot of this stuff. And most of what she knows is based on my reaction to things. <laughs> so it's all filtered through that. But that makes for some really fun moments. Like we were talking about the GameStop stock saga and all the craziness that was going on with that. And it was just really funny to get her takes on it because she just doesn't care. <laughs> so uh, interesting. And certainly, uh, I think, worth your time. A little bit shorter of a podcast. And again, it's news focused, so a little different from Bard's Backlog. But uh, check it out. Last time on Bard's Backlog, we talked about Xenoblade Chronicle- Chronicles, goodness, the definitive edition. And we did indeed allow it into the hall of games i think a good choice yes. personally um, yes. and what ended up being a very big episode talked about it for quite a bit um so go check that one out um and today we have of course a new pick for you if you've seen the title of the podcast you know what that is but we'll jump into that in a little bit jared before we jump into our first segment i have one quick question for you this is something that just popped into my head so I'm curious what you would say. So I just watched Palm Springs last night. Do you know what that is? What movie that is? No. And it so, it, it doesn't even sound familiar. Is it a documentary? No, it's a it's a feature film. It's a Hulu exclusive. Okay. So just on Hulu, it has Andy Samberg, um the guy who plays J Jonah Jameson. I can't think of what his name is. Uh but it's all about getting stuck in a time loop and you know, just like Groundhog Day style, Edge of Tomorrow style sort of movie. And those sorts of things I think are always really interesting and fun. This one's more of a comedic take on it. I guess Groundhog Day is pretty comedic, but um, 
just very interesting what these people who have to relive the same day over and over and over are doing with their time. And I was curious, Jared, if you were stuck in such a time loop, what would you spend your days doing? Oh, man. If it was if it was today, like today of all days, I don't even know. I'm scheduled to work later today, so I guess that would be annoying. <laughs> Like, I guess, I guess on the on the average man scale, I'm I'm kind of just like relegated to trying to get a better tip. <laughs> I guess. Uh, no, you know that's a good question. I feel like if it was, hmm, maybe lottery tickets. To be honest, okay, with you. yeah, I'd probably <laughs> but the just thing lottery- is, you only have yeah. 24 hours. Everything resets, you know. Right. Right. So even so if I would, you win in the lottery, you don't get that money because then when you wake up, it's the same morning again. So I think I agree with you, except that the movies imply that there is a way to break out of the loop eventually, right? Yeah. So actually what they did in Palm Springs, and this was kind of where I kind of was wondering what you would do because the guy, so Andy Samberg, his character has been stuck in there for who knows how long. Like He kind of has already forgotten what he used to do. He only knows his name because everyone refers to him as that. And he doesn't know how old he is or anything because in the time loop, you don't age. It's just like you're constantly reliving it. Um, and then this girl, he accidentally gets her stuck in the time loop with him. And she kind of gives up partway through the movie and then gets reinvigorated and decides to go study quantum physics in order to break them out of the time loop. Yeah. And so she spends, you know, semesters worth of time just like, watching online courses and contacting professors and asking for their opinions and stuff and like reading all kinds of books about it. And then she ends up breaking them out at the end. But um, that's certainly, I think a valuable worth a use of that time. <laughs> yeah, for sure. <laughs> uh, yeah. I'm not that dedicated. I think I'd probably go for the greedy short-term gain. <laughs> yeah. Uh, or maybe I'd like, you know, that's a good question. I don't know. I, I guess I would probably use it to learn a bunch of new skills or something like that. Because if you, you know, I don't know, go to a dojo and say, teach me everything you can about jujitsu. And then every day you get better because the only thing that remains is your memory, right? right. So it's it's like a, a pseudo infinity. So, uh, yep. you know, that's a good question. Uh, what would you do? <laughs> the first thought I had was like, I would ace all of the Beat Saber songs. <laughs> just like get good just, at Beat Saber. Just get good at it. And then maybe move on to something a little bit more valuable like... Yeah, like study, I mean, maybe not quantum physics, that's pretty insane, but like coding, like learn how to code or something like that. Sure, yeah. Like invest in something on that scale. Of course, with the potential that I never get out, that sort of thing might end up being completely meaningless. I don't know. But um, I would certainly try to invest in some sort of skill and then also spend a ton of time just straight chilling and doing whatever i'd also probably try a lot of different drugs just because there's no consequence exactly no like, hangover yeah yeah no hangover and then like if you die you get reset like they can't kill themselves to get out of it either so there's like almost no consequence whatsoever so i would certainly yeah. go for it at that point <laughs> that's interesting yeah interesting concept i always like those kinds of movies and it's fun to see how they toy with them Palm Springs is a really good movie. I would I would recommend it. Not as funny as I was expecting necessarily, but it was it was neat and they did a lot of unique things with the concept. I would say that I hadn't seen before. Um, Edge of Tomorrow, another one of those fantastic movies that I think is 
uses that idea of a time loop incredibly well. But with that said, we are certainly not stuck in a time loop, and so we must continue forward with the podcast here. And our first segment, of course, is the games we play in. So, Jared, I know you just moved and have had a very limited amount of time in which to play games, and from what you've said, most of that has simply been dedicated to the pick for this week. So, outside of that, is there any shout-outs you'd like to give in so, this segment? Yeah, the one shout-out specifically was last time I was with Josh in Pensacola, I have now moved on and I live in the, the flatlands of the Midwest, but uh, the... Last time I was with Josh, he showed me a horror VR game, which I don't remember the name of. But Until dawn. I screamed like a girl every time <laughs> a jump scare popped up. And if you have a, a weak heart and suicidal tendencies, this game is for you. It will. <laughs> it it is absolutely phenomenal. We we had a great time, all of us laughing at me play this game. And me attempting to shoot zombies, and it was it was great, uh, just good old fashioned uh, jump scare fun. But uh, the VR takes it to a whole new level because it's inescapable. Oh, yeah. You know what I mean? So uh, yeah. you can't you can't really like. I guess you could close your eyes, but I never did. I just felt like I couldn't get away. <laughs> <laughs> but no, it was it was a good time. And then actually, if you have never had the chance, uh, dear listener, you need to grab Mario Party, grab four of your friends, and play that game like it just in addition to jackbox mario kart uh and super smash brothers mario party is one of those games that is best played with a bunch of people uh with a lot of friends and uh lucy and i played that game with some of our friends before we left pensacola and we loved it it was absolutely a a blast so you have to play that game for sure um and then i wanted to make one side comment opposite of this segment it's like the games we play in a game i haven't been playing animal crossing i like fell off the cliff and have not been able to get back on zero interest and part of that is because the uh, artificial intelligence of the villagers in the game like they straight up guilt you when you haven't been there for a while it's always yeah. been that way if you played the original animal crossing it was just it was that same way um and so i have i've been scared it has been about two months and i have not played animal crossing so oh man yeah i missed the new year's thing i missed yeah so uh it was uh i think the last time i played it was probably christmas day that was it so you're just you've lost incentive at this point to jump in or is it more terror that they are going to accuse you of you know mistreating and um malnourishing them Exactly. Like, well, the the common response once you've been away for a while is like, "Oh, I thought you died." <laughs> well, you know, in their from their perspective, yeah, the villager has been in his house and he hasn't left for a long time, um, and they don't have postmates there, so who knows what happened to him? But, um, <laughs> but the you know the yeah, I, I think it's a combination of both. Like, I I have no desire to start a new island, but I think sure. I think if I were to read an article or something, being like, "Hey, I started a new island, and this is what I learned." You know, the game, uh, you know, returns to you the magic that it originally had when you found it. And uh, then maybe I might. But, you know, for now, I just have no desire to play the game. And uh, that's that's where I sit. But it's a game 
that I didn't really anticipate that happening. I was in such a great daily mm. routine that I really did anticipate playing this game for, you know, five minutes a day for, you know, at least a couple times a week, that kind of a thing going forward. And it just hasn't been the case. So, you, I mean, that's not like a bad thing. Like you got what you wanted out of it and you've had your fill. Sounds like. Yeah. It's Unless just, you are planning on jumping back in at some point, maybe I just don't know. to tinker maybe. around briefly. Yeah, m- maybe not. I, it's just one of those games that you expect to hold your interest because of the way it's designed. Like, that's kind of the yeah. whole point of the game, you know? So I, I'm kind of disappointed in myself, but also like, well, I guess it is what it is. Well, you stayed on the wagon a whole lot longer than I did. <laughs> so. Yeah, that's true. But I feel like you, you got off because you were, uh, maybe I'm wrong, but like, annoyed or overwhelmed rather at the the terraforming aspect which is a huge part of the game that causes anxiety it was certainly part of it yeah i mean i got to where credits rolled and at that point yeah after that it's it's really just how are you going to make this island your own and i wasn't invested enough plus to be honest those types of games i tend to drop off of sooner rather than later sure um games like minecraft or stardew valley like I will be super enthralled at first, but then I just move on. Like I just something else catches my interest. There's so many other games to play, and I'm I don't know fickle in that way. So didn't yeah. stick with it. But no, I, I I certainly understand. But what games have you been playing then, Josh? Tell me about them. So really, uh, actually, throughout the week. Whenever I have a few minutes, I'll just to kind of like get the blood pumping, I'll turn on Beat Saber and practice a little bit and try a couple of the songs. I have officially been able to pass one of the uh, difficult album songs. So like in the main package of Beat Saber, you have the original soundtrack volume one, two and three. Those are three different albums. And then there's a fourth and a fifth album. That fourth album is semi difficult. And then the fifth album is insanely hard, (laughs) like ridiculously hard, like tons of beat trains and swapping of colors. And they'll just like they'll pull out all the tricks in the book. And I I have been able to beat almost every single other song in the entire library, including all the DLC ones, except for one single song in that whole album. Um, And there's like six songs and I can't do any of them. Um, on expert is the level that I'm trying to hit it at. And so this last week I finally did one, like just barely like by the hairs on my chinny chin chin, barely survived and got through <laughs> it. And so I felt very accomplished doing that. But like, that'll be what I put like just a couple of minutes here and there. And plus, like I said, it gets my blood pumping. So like if I'm feeling a little dragged down, you know, maybe I woke up a little too early or whatever, it seems to help kind of boost me forward. And sure. then otherwise... I have been on my PlayStation playing Streets of Rage 4 every now and then. And it, I'm kind of taking my time with it. It's a it's a beat-em-up in the vein of the old-school arcade-style beat-em-ups. You know, like, you're kind of on one plane, you move up and down, think Castle Crashers or Scott Pilgrim vs. the World, and then you're just, you know, people on the screen come over, and then you, you punch them and you beat them up, and then you kind of have to do a bit of crowd control and learn your combos and stuff uh streets of rage 4 is really pretty like they they took the heart of the original pixels and 
have just put all kinds of dedication into the cartoony art style of it and it Mm -hmm. just it pops i love it just for its visuals alone stories really straightforward and then the gameplay itself is actually just deep enough that it's super fun so i've been taking my time with it trying to pace it out so i don't finish it too quickly to be honest you can beat it in one sitting so i'll play like one level every other day or so um so that's been fun on my playstation and then on my switch i picked up cyber shadow and this game has been perfect for me recently and also enraging to the core it is (laughs) it is a ninja gaiden style game um old school art style looks like it would fit just perfectly alongside anything on the nes like super mario bros or the original metroid um or the original super star wars like stuff like that but and they even kind of lean into that like there are like crt tv settings that you can put on um to make it look even older which i think is is a nice touch i tried it for a little bit and i'm just like hurting my eyes so i switched it back but it's tough it's unrelenting and the enemies that you're facing and the like minor platforming challenges that you have to do and so you'll die a lot but it'll reset you right at the last checkpoint you can get extra items to help kind of boost you forward and then throughout the game you unlock different abilities so at this point i think i'm on chapter seven out of 11 chapters so i've gotten a decent amount into it but it has been through blood sweat and tears let me tell you uh, but it's been a ton of fun. I've been really enjoying it. And it's published by the guys who did Shovel Knight, who developed and published Shovel Knight. So it's not developed by them. It's a different uh, company that developed it. But it has that badge of approval from the Shovel Knight guys. Sure. And so I had to check it out just for that reason. And it's been a ton of fun. A lot like The Messenger, giving me a lot of Messenger vibes. That was another indie game that came out, I want to say, in two thousand. 19 it might have been 2018 um that was actually it was 2018 yeah that the messenger came out that one's a little bit easier and a little bit more modern cyber shadow is a little bit more hardcore and simplified in old school ways so um bit of a different flavor but it has a lot of the same vibes as the messenger both are fantastic games and if you are into those old school games i would highly recommend both both of them, but certainly Cyber Shadow for sure. But that's been go. the games I have been playing. Here would be a good point to to just interject and say that if you have a Switch, guys, there are constantly good games going on sale. Constantly. Mm-hmm. I just took a look at the eStore the other day, and it, I mean 40% off, which is significant when you're paying 60 bucks for a good game, you know? Yeah. That's significant. In fact... The uh, the game that we're going to talk about today is currently on sale. So if if you, after this podcast you are interested, snap it up because right now is the best time to grab it. Yep. Wait for those sales on games. Like if you're not like really hankering to jump in right yep. now, you yep. know, like for a big release or something, guaranteed it'll be on sale in a month or so. So yep. like just hold back and then jump in. That's how I get most of my games. It's just. Yep, I get suckered into the insane sales on the eShop. <laughs> yeah, yeah, the, like all the Lego games are on sale right now for like eleven yeah. bucks, seven bucks. Yeah, it's absolutely the best time to grab some of your favorite, you know, uh, low key titles. Yeah, they had a ton 
of really good games on sale over their New Year's sale, I guess is what it was called. Yeah. Unfortunately, that's over at this point, but like they do stuff like that all the time. So certainly check in and see what they got. Uh, with that said, though, let's jump into the default segment. For this default segment, I just wanted to ask a quick question. We don't need to necessarily get into the nitty-gritty for it, but Jared, in your opinion, are there too many remasters going on in the industry right now? And what I'm thinking of along the lines of this is just like the lack of... See, even when I go to say it, I hesitate, but like the lack of originality, of, of risk... And this is not only something that plagues the video game industry, but like the movie industry as well, I feel like has started to head in this direction where they they stick with what has worked in the past and that's it. Like there's not a whole lot of like trying out a whole new IP or trying out an insane combination of genres that you wouldn't have expected before. Like instead what you get is a lot of companies who are just like re-releasing old stuff maybe with a new you know layer of graphics to it and i don't know like part of me part of me wonders if that is telling for some sort of decay in the industry like back in the 90s and the early 2000s everyone was risking their bacon for something new trying out some new idea putting together a whole new, you know, world. And then there'd be, like, sequels that would come out of that, sure, for a period of time, but then they'd move on to the next idea and try out something else that's crazy. And at this point, that doesn't happen nearly as much, and we get instead, like, just this month, we're getting a Prince of Persia remake. Um, last year, we had, like, Tony Hawk and Final Fantasy VII and... The Mario trilogy of 3D games all came out at the same time. And, and even Xenoblade Chronicles. Like Zen- we exactly, about. yeah. yeah. Um, and so it's like developers, especially Nintendo has been egregious of double dipping. They'll just like, like they released Pikmin 3 last year. Instead of making a Pikmin 4 or trying to do some new IP, that was like their their headline game for that particular month, you know? And so I wonder if like it is a bad sign that they're double dipping um that they're trying to you know get extra cash out of these old ideas or on the other side is it good for you know a game preservation and for opening these up to new audiences to new generations who have never been able to experience these games before right i don't know what do you think jared you know, there's a lot that we've already talked about today and in past episodes that have given us some some things to talk about with this topic. I, the quick answer and the bitter and the resentful answer is yes. But at the same time, you know, yes, there are too many remasters, but at the same time, it is so hard to generate original ideas. Like there, uh, the other day, I remember this day, it was quite demoralizing. The other day I had three, count them, three original ideas. And I went to the internet, and I was like, no. Because I know how difficult it is to generate an original idea. And I Googled all, all of these ideas, and all three of them had already been done. I was like, all mm. right. 
So, so there's something to be said in, in like we were talking about with, with Groundhog Day too. You only have 24 hours in a day. What does that mean? It means limited attention span. You really only mm-hmm. have, you have to de- dedicate at least, you know, six to eight hours of your day to surviving. Uh, and by that, I mean like food, bathroom needs, h- hydrating, water, things like that. And then that leaves you like six to eight more of waking time. And then the rest of that needs to be sleep. So if you, if you have like rare spare hours, you're going to go with something that's familiar, that keeps your mind off of the stressful day that you've had. You just don't have all day long to be exploring new uh, and unproven options. And, and let's think about it too. What are the, what, one of the greatest cinema masterpieces we have ever seen from a cinematic perspective has been the Marvel franchise. That is nothing more than a, a take on a remake. It's just a it's just a regurgitation of comic book heroes that used to be on the yeah. page and now on the screen. And I I don't consider that separate. You know, that's a remaster, that's a remake. And and so in a sense there's no incentive for Hollywood and more specifically like what we're talking about the gaming industry to be original. One because it's difficult and two because they know where their money was made in the past. And you know the proclivity of older people to live in the past and to live through their past victories and just keep bringing those up. How many times have you heard the same story from your grandfather? And so (laughs) as much as we can sit here and say yes and come up with more original stuff, it's just hard to say, hey, be great to someone, you know? (laughs) Like it's just a really vague thing to say. Uh, In answer to your question, yes, but then again, I think no, because, you know, Skyrim when it was originally released in 2011, was tremendous because of the potential. But we all know, even the diehard fans of it, know that it did not live up to its potential because of bug problems, because of uh, uh, packaging issues, because of glitches that happened to be funny, so they left them in the game. Um, Things like that. And so a remaster to a game that could have been great seems like the perfect solution. There was nothing wrong with the bones of the game. Maybe it just needs a facelift, needs some Botox. So, and I think too, like, you know, uh, Definitive Edition, I would not have played Xenoblade Chronicles on the Wii U. One, I don't have a Wii U, right? And you mentioned this, and I'll let you get back to backwards compatibility, but I would not have played it because the graphics, you know, 10 years ago were not talking about it, not, not even worth the conversation. <laughs> yeah. So, so in a sense, it's like, yes, too many remasters, but then again, I don't know. I think some old titles should be remastered, and and I wouldn't. I wouldn't. I would play a game that was uh, a remaster of an of an old game, as I've proven with my wallet time and time again. So I sure. say yes, but my actions don't really back that up, Josh. Yeah, mine either. <laughs> well, yeah, exactly. Yeah, like that, and that's the that's a fact of the matter. Like I, I can't help it when like Nintendo's this next week going to be releasing re-releasing Super Mario 3D World, and I'm going to buy it. Like, yeah, I I, I just yeah. I'm a Mario sucker for that sort of stuff, so I'm gonna totally double dip there, um, and maybe if I still had access to the original, I wouldn't, and I just don't because I I've mm-hmm. sold all my Wii U stuff at this point. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I just I don't know. Like I'm definitely a hypocrite when it comes to it, but there right. is something about just the incessant amount of it today that just kind of bothers me a little bit right and and, you know i've heard this argument a lot with movies that like the quality of movies and the originality of movies has had a steep downgrade in the last decade or so because of people's fear of trying to jump into you know just original ideas and 
where before we had major um, filmmakers who would every single movie was a new risk and a new idea. Right. Now they kind of stick with tried and true tropes and uh, they try to hit what's going to sell and what these uh, companies are going to publish, you know, and actually put money behind. Right. And it's all like gotten down to the analytics behind it and the numbers game of, you know, what people are feeding into and what they will buy instead of just trying to surprise an audience with something that maybe they perhaps didn't expect. Um, and yeah, I mean, it, it, but then it works both ways because like on one hand, thinking back on the game side of things, like remasters can be great and they can be yes. reinvigorating to right. a series like right. Crash Bandicoot came out a couple of years ago, they remade that whole trilogy with nice graphics, same mm-hmm. terrible old gameplay, but like it was, it looked pretty. It was eye popping and surprising to everyone. Right. And then to Activision's credit, they have since followed up with a brand new game, Crash Bandicoot 4, which was great. It was a really good game. And it was in the heart of the series. It took some risks, but it stuck to the original formula really well. And so in that way, it paid off incredibly. Uh, But then you have like the Yakuza series, which has just re-released every game ad infinitum. And it's just like, all right, like where does it stop? And where do you instead give me something new? You know, so. No, I'm with you. I don't know. You're right. The answer is yes and no. (laughs) Yeah. Um, any other thoughts on that before we move on? No, not really. I mean, it, when, I think it takes generational gaps to be amazing. And by that, I mean, like, certainly we, we are still waiting for our generation to fall in love with romance again. Until that point, we cannot have a movie like Titanic. Um, we are not, we, we are too close to Marvel and to Harry Potter for us to have the next great fantasy epic the market is saturated and you have this kind of back in my day and we're only 25 and 24 and and, and 29. (laughs) We are at the money spending part of our life where we don't have children typically uh, on average. And then we don't, you know, we don't have dedicated spouses or or things like that. I mean, some of us do, I'm not saying all of us, but like that money spending generation from like 20 years old to 35 where we're like maybe in there you have the least responsibility of your life, but you're still making like money, you know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. that that's that money spending area and those people are already cynical. They're already saying back in my day about Harry Potter, about Marvel, about, you know, you know, these these movies that can't be surpassed in their own mind. So I think maybe what we need is just another 10 years before we can have great original epics once again because then it'll be the next generation's chance to spend sure. the money that they have while they don't have responsibility on being a fan of these crazy things. Um, and Mandalorian, that's a great product. I love Mandalorian. It's kind of a spinoff, a remaster. You know, it's in the same conversation. Uh, so, you know, you you can make old things new and beautiful, but, you know, I, I think some things are better left untouched and mm. the effort should be made for new things. I totally agree with you. Yeah. My last thought would be the need for backwards compali- com- compatibility Excuse right. me, in, in games because they like having access to all of the classics I think is integral and it's hard to do because unlike, um, you know, a a movie where you can just go to the store and get the disc, 
Right. And they, you know, have that available for you to go pick up. You need the particular console. Yes. The particular controllers, right. all the other accessories in order to go have access to these old relics in the industry. Yep. And so we've lost some of that. And we used to have access a lot better to these sorts of things through things like Nintendo's Virtual Console on the Wii. And the PlayStation used to be backwards compatible with everything. Now the PS5 and the Xbox Series X are building in a lot more backwards compatibility. And to Xbox's credit, with their Game Pass, they have all kinds of access to older games um, in ways that I think are incredibly admirable. So like, I, I, on one hand, I do think it's important to have access to those old games. And if that is only through remasters, I suppose that's okay. That'll be yeah. for the people who right. that's for, you know. Right. Uh, but to lean on that and to just have that be your crutch in order to make more sales off of it, I think is a bit, I don't know, um, dirty. Just yeah, feels dirty no, to me. Yeah, yeah, I so, agree. Um, but like we said, kind of a yes or no answer to that. With that said, though, let's go ahead and jump into the pick of the week and this week we are discussing immortals phoenix rising Immortals Phoenix Rising, once called Gods and Monsters, is this new concept put forth by one of the Assassin's Creed Ubisoft teams, and it wears its inspirations on its sleeve. Inspirations from Assassin's Creed, but also from Breath of the Wild, and from Saturday morning cartoons. And of course, it is inundated with Greek myth. And it is a hodgepodge of different things, but it is a fun game to boot. Jared, just off the top of your head, what were your first impressions going into the game, and how do you feel about it now? Yeah, it was like it was like um, the medieval sword play hack and slash meets uh, of Skyrim meets the vibrant uh, the the vibrancy and naturey vibes of Breath of the Wild, but with the speed turned up to, to five. So yeah. it, that was that definitely, you know, it, it, it takes inspiration from all of those things that, that you have, as well as your creepy Uncle Zeus, and it just <laughs> puts together this uh this blend of a, a an adventure RPG that everyone didn't know they needed um from yeah. Ubisoft, which is as a company, like it's not you can just you can just see it even when you first pop into the game it's not perfect but yeah my first impressions were definitely like you can see and feel the inspirations from uh, a a number of different sources for sure yep and i think as you get into it it does have its own flair to it mm-hmm. and it does a really great job especially with the greek lore just incorporating that into literally everything that you're doing um and that's thanks to its setup 
narratively like the whole thing is being told kind of from like it's it's told in a past sense from uh prometheus to zeus but then it, it ends up tying into the the actual timeline of the game towards the end did you end up finishing the story jared i've actually um i have beaten 96 percent of the game like there's like i think okay. four, ch- four chests that i haven't opened and i'm pretty My sure goodness. that's it other than the dlcs i've beaten the whole thing so did you enjoy i know kind of jumping straight into spoiler territory here but did you enjoy how the story uh proceeded and wrapped up so um, uh, <laughs> is that enough of an answer my like stuttering <laughs> non-answer um so yes and no. Again, I, I believe that where the game shines is in the dynamic between Zeus and Prometheus as far as a narrative context because Prometheus is this like bitter storyteller that Zeus is chained to a rock. Uh, and right. Zeus is known for being, in, in lore and in this game, it makes it very apparent, he's known for being a flippant man-child. Like that's, yeah. that's essentially what he is. He's the most powerful and he doesn't know what to do with all this power, so he just wastes it away and squanders it and he's... He's beholden to strong women because he doesn't have a sense of like masculinity himself. And so the game is, you know, it is narrated by juxtaposing your character, whose character is constantly uh, uh, complimented all the time, with Zeus, who happens to have a tie-in with the main character towards the end of the game. Uh, you know, spoiler, spoiler, spoiler. But the, the way it ended was dissatisfying in a sense that, like, I don't know. All of a sudden, Typhon didn't make sense at the end. Did you get that sense? So Typhon is the big is the big baddie who is against the who's against the um, corruption and the greed and the debauchery of the gods, right? And then his 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 righteousness reminds me of like that. uh, What's the guy's name from My Hero Academia? I can't remember. But essentially, like you agree with the villain, like at, at the very beginning. He's like the gods are all Talking corrupt. About Stain. Yeah, I, I can't remember his name, but um, Stain. Yes, that's right. Yeah, licks the blood. Yeah, yeah. And his whole thing is like, look, heroes are doing this for money and power and, and greed. And then all like that's exactly right. And then you know the the common sentiment, not that they were inspired by each other, but the common sp- sentiment led to the boys, which is a superhero anti-hero kind of a thing on Amazon Prime, which is a very dark and brooding show. Same idea. Mm-hmm. Heroes are actually the problem. It's these people that masquerade as as heroes, but they're actually bullies. And um, this is it's just so funny to me. This actually ties in with the broader uh, young person's narrative of how they view capitalism. It's run by a bunch of bullies with too much power. And yes, while I kind of agree that they do some good, they're heroes. I'm using air quotes. Um, they're also greedy, and they they can be bullies, and they are on constant ego trips. Like, that's kind of how people view capitalism right now. Even if they like the system, they're like, yeah, I don't care for the people in power, politicians, all that stuff, that same thing. So it's kind of funny how they, they kind of tangle together like that and they fit. Yeah. But um, but yeah, Typhon is this character that hates the gods, and for good reason. Zeus continually proves that he is not a good dad, a good, uh, a good leader, a good god, in any sense of the word, the entire game. And... Phoenix, being the most redeeming character in the story, is loyal to how she was raised, and she's a storyteller, although they don't talk about that that much, um, and helps the gods anyway. So by the end of the game, I'm like, I don't understand why you're not helping Typhon, if I'm being honest. So it's like, 
that was that was my thought. I was like, I don't understand like when Typhon went from being perfectly reasonable and justified in his hatred to he's the baddie now that like I don't know sabotages himself. I was I was a little disappointed in that in that sense. What did hmm. you think, Josh? Well, I I wasn't expecting the Typhon equals capitalism um, allegory that you used there, but that was fantastic. Um, <laughs> I. I was disappointed with the ending as well. I think it kind of didn't know what to do there. Like yeah. they had a really cool twist and just jumping right into the spoilers like that. The whole story that Prometheus was telling was simply to delay Zeus. And then they have it tied into Phoenix, who is Zeus's child showing up and to fulfill the whole, you know, Greek cycle of things, kill her father and then take that power. And that was like, part of why Typhon was there in the first place, like Prometheus and Atlas released Typhon in order to spurn on this whole event, in order to distract Zeus, kind of disable the gods so that they could get him out of the picture. And then Phoenix has mercy, which I think is makes perfect sense within her character. Like she stops and says, no, this is like to show you that we could take you down, but we want you to change instead. Um, and Zeus kind of like is very humbled at this point and agrees to do something. And then Typhon all of a sudden is like, no, like this wasn't what I wanted. And like turns again. He's like, I'll do it myself, even though he knew from the beginning that he wouldn't be able to. And like, that wasn't the whole point of his even being there in the first place. And then all, and then that leads to a conventional boss battle with Typhon in a place where really, I just didn't see a need for it. it felt a bit egregious. And then you have like all the gods uniting and what was like a feel good moment, I guess to defeat him. But it kind of just undercut the whole buildup toward like Zeus is a bad dad. He um, is the one who brought all these miseries on them and he needs to be held accountable, you know? And then like all of a sudden it was like, Oh no, we'll let him off the hook and we'll take out the guy who, like you said, was kind of like the, the actual moral center kind of who was holding the gods accountable yeah, and turn him into the bad guy for no real reason. And it just, it felt tacked on unnecessary and kind of like a, a whimper at the end. It's like, just like the air went out. Like, yeah, it oh. did. It felt like, it felt like Prometheus and his brother Atlas, which was a cool tie in. Like the, the way that they use the gods actually makes them come to life in my mind. Like yeah. Aphrodite, uh, a, a Apollo in a sense, although Apollo's more of the, the DLC add on, but you do get his bow or something like that. I don't know. There's a lot of like confusion with Greek gods. So I think what this game does is actually solidify some of the things that they're known for and just kind of give mm-hmm. a vibe so, like, Hephaestus is the god of the forge, right? So his whole area is right. called the Forge Lands, and you do things that are, like, rock and artistry related. Well, that's that's cool. Uh, god of War, Ares, is one of the gods that you help. His whole is, like, uh, the the war zone or something like that. I can't remember. But it's... Uh, so his, his whole thing is about weapons of war and, and giant fortresses and things like that. So it's a vibe about the gods rather than it is something super specific. And I think with the whole Zeus being a bad dad thing, Typhon being released because he's actually kind of like a weaker baddie. Like it really mm-hmm. wasn't a question that he was ever going to lose actually, because he's right. just so much less powerful than Zeus is. So he, he comes from a philosophical high ground in the sense that like, yeah, the gods are bad. They're lazy. They're greedy. They're ignorant and wrong. And then he gets walloped in the end because Prometheus can't do anything to help him. And Atlas, doesn't i don't know after atlas helps he kind of disappears and then 
it, it feels like we're all ganging up on Typhon, even though he's right. So it was kind yeah. of it was kind of weird in that sense. I'm like, I kind of agree with the bad guy. And then yeah. the, the, the worst thing that happens is that Phoenix, who is the moral strong point character, she does nothing wrong. She's loyal. She's also brave and courageous and just gets it done. Very like, I don't know. I left my character as a female. I don't know if you made a dude, but like it, in my opinion, whether it was male or female was the very best of both. Mm-hmm. It was kind of cool. I was thinking as I played the game, because you could switch up the gender and everything like that. I, I play a little bit as a dude and a little bit as a chick. You can actually make the case that like what Phoenix is, is the embodiment of the strong, brave, feminine uh, archetype and the masculine, firm, and embattled uh, archetype. And they, yeah, totally. they, they coincide perfectly. It's actually, in my mind, uh, in a, in an exact replica of what men and women should be. But the the problem is that Phoenix ends up, in my mind, just giving Zeus like a slap on the wrist at the end because he's a god and she's a demigod and can't like there's no actual holding accountable. It's just that Typhon kind of goes out fighting like you kind of knew he would because he has to because he can't compete with the gods. And then Prometheus is left in the same situation. It feels like nothing changes. Does that make sense? Like the whole ending of the of the game feels like nothing's going to change. It's just that Phoenix proved how great of a person she was, and that was the yeah. whole moral of the story. I guess I don't know. I I just felt like it. It the the games and I text Josh when I first started playing it. I was like, I am living for this Prometheus and Zeus uh, dialogue because it's 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 genuinely funny in my opinion, um, and gives you a chuckle a good amount of the time, and and also is very telling. It manages to like show Phoenix as this moral character without being too cliche, although at times mm-hmm. it does. But it genuinely does say that like actually a hero is known for their character more than they're known for anything else. And I like that emphasis of the game, but you're, you're absolutely right. As far as narrative goes, it, it, it did seem to lack a couple of times uh, in certain areas. Yeah, and the like the main story of like saving each of the uh, gods kind of from their own flaws Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. was neat and again you have phoenix who is that kind of totem of morality you know she kind of represents like the fulfillment of greek philosophy and ideas and moral code like the gods have always represented like just humanity and its flaws kind of its potential along with the problems that it causes and then phoenix kind of against that shows like the the championing and good that can come from humanity and from just sticking to a moral code being honest being genuine doing your best striving against the odds like that sort of stuff so um and i actually played as both (laughs) so every chapter i would switch up the characters look and gender just for funsies yeah absolutely um, which gave it an interesting feel it did although i think at the end of the day i preferred the female protagonist personally um but that is neither I, here nor there but i is is uh as well another point to your whole narrative concerns with the game it's like i love what they started to do the game starts out really strong um as far as storyline you're gonna get hyped you're gonna get super excited typhon's voice whoever voices him does a tremendous job uh his guttural all the voice acting is yes it's actually excellent which is surprising and very uh opposed to breath of the wild whose voice acting is almost like painful (laughs) to listen to if we're being honest um so yeah i totally agree i would just say that like 
Also, character development. Phoenix starts the game off with like, no, 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 the real hero is actually the person with the most character in the room. And that is absolutely true the whole game through. That's consistent. Great. But the problem is that some of the gods like have noticeable, disgusting personality flaws. Like truly disgusting. Like Aphrodite and Ares, that whole dynamic is nasty to me. Because, (laughs) well, I'm just being honest because... Uh, so Afro- so Zeus is a bad dad, right? And they, they talk about this. One of the, st- the things that they emphasize over and over again is when you're in Hephaestus' area, he was given, or Aphrodite was given to him as a wife. And she is just, to be frank, a whore. She, like, she hits on Hermes. She talks about Apollo, her love for Apollo. She also, like, like flirts with Ares right in front of her husband Hephaestus. And that's disgusting. No one likes that. Like, no one in their right mind is going to think, I need to side with these people in, to beat right. the baddie. Like, that's just not how it goes. And Hermes makes this comment that, like, Aphrodite wouldn't be Aphrodite without her flaws. But that's it. Like, there's no other New Agey self-love that, like, even tries to justify their bad behavior. So it's mm-hmm. kind of like you're left like, wait, this is gross. Like, I don't want to be like that. I want to be like Phoenix, which I guess is a good thing. But it's just like... Where's the character development? Where's the, I realize I was wrong. Other than Zeus saying, yeah, not all humans are bad and I'm also a bad person, nothing else happens. Like there's no other character development. The only thing that is different from this is that like Ares gets his essence back and he's aggressive and that like toxic masculinity type of a thing. Aphrodite gets her essence back. So she's kind of like a whore again, yay. And then (laughs) Athena, who has always been aloof and standoffish, doesn't really change much. And then Hephaestus, he goes from being this, like, lonely uh, artist who buries his trauma in the past to confronting his, his, his issues and then making a friend in Phoenix. Like, that yeah. is the most redeeming character arc is that whole thing yeah. right there. And it's beautiful. It, like, truly is beautiful. And it's frustrating that they don't even try to do that with the other three gods. I don't understand. Right. It's like, you, you actually nailed this. The Hephaestus storyline is awesome. It's great. And I and so I would don't you say even... that one was certainly your favorite then? Yeah, for sure. Because it was the one with like, well, one, Hephaestus' hammer is the most common like attack thing I use. I just I really uh-huh. like that. It's a fun, it's a fun tool to use. And it doesn't actually take up as much uh stamina, which we'll get to in a second, so I can just keep using it and my game style complements that. So that's one thing. But then just again, like the storyline is that like this guy was cast from Mount Olympus by bad dad Zeus. Uh not deserving it just because Zeus thought he was ugly. It's really is that shallow. And then yeah. he's given a wife to try to like reconcile things, but he gives him, it's like the old, uh, what, what's the Bible story? Is it Hosea? Whose wife is, uh, I think so. Yeah. Is a, it keeps running away on him cause she's a prostitute. It's like the same thing. So Hephaestus keeps getting the, the short end of the stick repeatedly and has justified, uh, emotions to the things that he goes through and then ends up like Phoenix kind of, becomes his friend and then that it kind of ends really in a, in a really pretty way but other than that none of the other god relationships are even worth like talking about it's kind of disappointing yeah yeah no i agree like in both of the arcs of aphrodite and Ares, like you they are put in situations where they're compromised and like what they consider are their greatest attributes are taken away from them like, I really liked Ares being a chicken or a rooster because, like, it tricks you. It, like, makes you think that he's this great bear, which you yes. think would, like, 
be perfect for the god of war and then it yeah. turns out he's like this weak sad sorry little uh rooster instead and he's like miserable about it he knows like all his manliness is out the window but then once you redeem him he just goes straight back to what he was before like there's no change in his like he doesn't he's not humbled by the experience yep. or yep um he doesn't he, grow from it at all he goes back to being insufferable yeah <laughs> exactly and, and same thing with Aphrodite a- Athena really doesn't change at all like yeah it's yeah the, Athena's kind of bland although she's like yeah. in my opinion more attractive than Aphrodite which is interesting but um one thing that I did to the game's credit is that each of the gods really does nail their own essence so like what you think of as Ares is the god of war like that makes sense um what you think of as Aphrodite the goddess of love it's it's more like sensual based you know but it does mm. make sense. Like, so their their whole packages. It's just that from a narrative perspective, their development is very disappointing. So I, I won't yeah. say that I. It's like where they start and where they end is disappointing, but where they start is so strong. So as a character, each of them. Yeah. So that that's one point in which I felt the game had a strong point is that the 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 characters themselves t- told by the myths and the legends within the game are super enjoyable and really ground out your understanding of the gods because they're actually probably well-written, in my opinion. So, Yeah, and going along those lines, just to kind of wrap up a lot of the Greek side of this before we jump into the combat, um, I think that they do a really great job of just, like, throughout the entire world, building in all the different bits of Greek myth that you'd want. Each of the puzzles that you solve has, like, some connection to it. They bring up all the different... Um, heroes and stuff throughout yep. Greek lore and like what their stories are and Zeus and Prometheus reflect on it a lot of them a lot of the time Zeus has had a hand in the story and so he yep. kind of like discusses how he had gone through it and they tie it all in incredibly well along with the humor um, and it just makes her a really enjoyable world to explore I would say yeah. aside from the fact I don't know if you got this impression but it felt a little empty despite the fact that it's so full of stuff <laughs> if that kind of makes sense yeah no i think what it was yeah. missing was just more characters i guess yeah i was hoping that like you would meet you know um i'm trying to think like uh uh i guess you end up fighting some of the heroes like odysseus um and um achilles but like other individuals or other gods i like kind of want to just like meet them on the map and have them send me to do something yeah. i don't know or yeah. like just have some village or something where people are yeah. learning about anything like that like have like a sad gorgon send me to go you know defeat this a bully gorgon or something like sure. anything with just a little bit more personality because yeah. although the puzzles had a bit of the greek myth built into them and you get zeus zeus's and prometheus's response to that Otherwise, like the world is just like puzzles and bad guys, and that's that's kind of it. Yeah, so no, I'm, it felt I'm, a little empty to me. I'm totally with you. It did empty is the exact right word because as you go through the map, like the first thing that happens is Phoenix realizes everyone's turned to stone except her. So that's one thing, and then it's so it does feel empty. You you get to these destroyed towns and villages that have had houses and the roofs are caved in, and like oh, there's a chest of gold in there, and that's your only interest in it. Yeah. Because all of the people are turned to stone or they're gone or like there's roaming bands of aggressive chickens. Like it's not like it's it's <laughs> it, it, there is something that's missing in in the game. And I was really hoping not to have a redo ending as in like 
the game doesn't know what to do with itself. It can't just repackage itself. So it has you beat the boss over and over and over again until you're sick of it. But like you never actually have any permanent change. Does that make sense? So unfortunately, that's what this game does. So like you beat Typhon and then it goes back to before you beat Typhon, unfortunately. So that's disappointing in a sense because I really wanted to see the Golden Isle restored. Even if it was just in video form. Like even if they just did like a 20 second montage of the villagers playing again, everyone's done being turned to stone, but it actually like nothing changes again. So right. it's, it's in a sense, I, uh, I totally agree with you. Empty is the right, is the right word. And I, I was hoping too, for the same thing that you're talking about, you know what, uh, what other game actually feels empty a lot of the time is breath of the wild. Like you have a total of three villages and most of them are on the East side of the map. And then it's mm-hmm. like, like you have one, sorry, not three villages, excuse me. You have, let me think. You have Kakariko Village, Hatuno Village, Gerudo Town. There's five or six. Sure, sure. But then... Maybe five. Other than that, there's nothing. There's Luralin Village, which is this tiny little fishing village that doesn't even have everything you can do in a village. And then that's kind of it. So it, it's massive open areas of, of map to explore. But it's one, it's not very densely packed. And then two, there's just not a lot of people. So it does, it does feel empty. But... So I'm in a complete agreement with you. I would have loved it if Apollo could have had like this tiny little shrine area where maybe he sat yeah. on a throne or something and you can interact with him. But once you do all the quests, like, you know, he doesn't, he doesn't interact with you anymore. You can just kind of talk to him. He'll make a side comment and that's it. That still would have been better with than than what you're talking about, which is exactly right. The emptiness of the game for sure. Yeah. Like you go to Aphrodite's palace and it's this beautiful sprawling yep. complex Yep. and there's nobody there. There's no like there. there's a, exactly. there's some enemies, but like throw some servants in there or like, mm-hmm. let me run into Dionysus or one of the other mm-hmm. gods and like, you know, exactly. have something there. Like Breath of the Wild does feel empty, but like you'll still run across people on the road. That's there's true. Like a exactly. dude at a bridge who looks like he's about to jump. Yep. There's like the angry flower lady at that one shrine who yep. like doesn't want you to step on her flowers. Yeah. And like you'll run into people at the uh, stables and they'll give you hints and secrets about stuff nearby. Yeah. Like it feels just just yeah. even though it is minute, like it is just enough to keep that interest going and yeah. to feel a little bit more I don't know, like it has more personality than unfortunately what I think the Golden Isle does. I agree. Immortals. I- I think Breath of the Wild, uh, my kind of point with this was that like it feels empty, but the emptiness makes sense um, because it's a broad. Yeah, it's certainly not as full as a Skyrim. Yes, exactly. So at least with Skyrim, like if you want a quest, you can go to a town and there's like every character can give you a quest in Skyrim. It's such a densely packed game. Whereas with this, um, with, with Phoenix, it's so densely packed, but it's densely packed with like puzzles and inanimate objects and some cool mm-hmm. artwork for sure for sure um but the you're totally right there's just not enough characters to interact with that are like minor characters let's call them demigods haha but um the there's just not enough there's not enough going on with the the lore is so rich it feels like you're undercutting it to just dedicate it to fixing a picture or solving a puzzle um so I, there there was potential loss there I, i'm in agreement yeah, like at the start of the game, you meet this blonde-haired kid, and you're wondering, okay, who is this person? Turns out it's Hermes, and like mm-hmm. that felt cool. Um, but then otherwise, outside of the four gods, like there's nothing else like 
nothing. Like you don't run. Like I wish I could have just like on a hill or something like ran into Hercules fighting the sure. lion, you know, exactly, or something like that. Um, and it just doesn't happen. Yeah. So, so with- I would say that's a point against it as far as the because and that's the thing. Like Greek myth is so deep, and there's so many things that you could pull from it. Yeah. That I felt like on that side of things, they just missed an opportunity there. I'm in agreement. Let's so let's talk about the world um, now that we've talked about exploring the world. Do you want to just lay out um, what you thought of the world uh, when you first jumped into the game, and what you? Yeah, I mean, other yeah. than the what I just brought up with the emptiness, it's it's pretty, um, it's rife with puzzles that are all fun to do. It has a lot of variety to it, um, and it can be really easy to just, especially once you kind of get like the the dash with your flying um, to just kind of like fly over everything and not pay super close attention. But once you're on the ground and once you're kind of like running around, like there's a lot of small little interesting things. And I even, I got that breath of the wild feel of like, Oh, what's over there? Like I see that yep. structure. What's going on? Like yep. at the edge of, I think Aphrodite's map, there's like this giant whirlwind that's going on at the corner. And I'm like, Oh, what's, what's happening over there? Exactly. Yeah. And like Hephaestus's area has a ton of verticality. Like you jump, you fall into like really deep valleys and stuff. And it's yep. like, Oh man, now I'm like, how am I going to get back up unless I fast travel or something like that? Um, and so there's a lot of really neat parts to it. Um, and the game has you wait until the end pretty much to even get to this, um, Island off the coast that looks pretty prevalent the entire time like every time mm-hmm. you open up your map mm-hmm. you can see it out there but you can't reach it until towards the end of the game and then that ends up paying off super well too like that was perhaps my favorite part of the yes. game was just climbing the mountain yep i was gonna um, say the same it actually was, it was very thorough yeah. and very rewarding figuring out all the different aspects of it and trial and error kind of dying a couple times or oh, freezing yeah. over and like having to combat that was very unique and I really appreciated that. Yeah, I thought um, that was probably the shining moment of the map was what they do with Zeus's mountain. So for so when you start the game, you actually start on the Clashing Isles, which is a very vertical, surprisingly, uh, very vertical start of the map where you're on like rocks that are jutting out of the ocean pretty significantly. So, I mean, if you fall, because it's the start of the game, it's very significant for you to try to climb back up. So there's a lot of incentive for you to kind of not necessarily hurry through that part, but it's just not the easiest part of the start of the game. So they really tease you by saying, like, once you improve, all of this will be unlocked to you. But at first, mm-hmm. it, it is kind of like a, a rough area to start in, but it's very desolate. Uh, it's a great starting point. But then once you get to the mainland, um, you're dealing with flat gl- grasslands to your right and then kind of rough, uh, rocky torn wars den to your right if you if you choose to do that and then obviously they encourage hall of the gods which is in the easier part of the map so if you kind of do it like kind of clockwise you'll end at the hardest part of the map and start at the easiest part but um essentially it's it's pretty wide open and in the background is uh zeus's mountain which is this really you take this long slow circular turn slowly going up this mountain over broken paths and you actually can accomplish everything in that area by following the path and just deviating quickly to these different areas to beat all yeah. of the as as you slowly wind up the mountain if you try to like cheat and go right to the top you lose because you can't there's like stamina draining areas uh, which we'll talk about the mechanics in a second but 
that definitely was structured, but like difficult and excellent. Like the way they packaged the the final area where you had to stay on the path, but it was also not boring. It was very interesting. And then the dialogue only gets better between Prometheus and Zeus as they're rounding those final turns for sure. Yeah. Great, great way to mix things up for sure. Yeah. Um, so I, I would also say as far as the world map is concerned, it was like the perfect size for me. Totally agree. Not too big um, and not too small. And yeah. just layered enough with stuff that it was enjoyable the entire yeah. time pretty much. Ubisoft knows what they're doing when it comes to fast travel too. And so the reason I say that is because as you unlock more areas, there's only certain points that you can fast travel to. So you still have to do a good bit of traveling. Like you can fast travel to a vault, which is the whole like, underworld you're slowly beating typhon that way kind of a a process so let me just lay this out real quick so you have myth challenges which are you're trying to recreate constellations in honor of the gods you're trying to uh discover harps and then play them back on giant harps which is i like that that was an original idea i thought that was cool and then um you're discovering chests of course and you're solving generic puzzles with like weights and 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 different things like that and then you're there's like boss challenges. There's like a, a big variety. There's at least 10 different things you can do in different areas of the map. And you're discovering iconic locations like Aphrodite's palace and, and whatever else. But um, as far as trying to like the, the fast travel at least, there's enough of a gap. Even though it's a densely packed map, there's enough of a gap between locations you can fast travel to and all of the surrounding puzzles that you never, what's the word I'm looking for? You can easily get disoriented with fast travel because you're like, mm. I don't know which way I'm facing, which way is up, uh, where am I at? You get a, you get you lose this sense of size, especially because you haven't actually traveled the area. But because it forces you to travel a little bit, I feel like it's a good balance. So it's densely packed, but it's not so densely packed that it's just too easy. Like your fast traveling isn't too easy a part of the game, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, I agree. I would usually typically just fast travel to the statues and sure, just sure. fly off from there. That was yep. pretty much how I did my exploration. What um, difficulty did you play the game on, Josh? I think it was regular. Okay. I, I a third of the way through was thinking about bumping it up and then the game kind of scaled just enough that it was keeping the challenge up and enjoyable and so I just kept with it at that point. Yeah. I probably would have been fine to make it a little more difficult and still have a good time with it, but I was kind of looking for a little less resistance from the game, just trying to find something that was a little bit more enjoyable. So sure. kept it a little bit lower. I would actually, I, I played it on regular and then about part, part of the way through, I threw it to hard because it, it started to, fe- I was keeping up too well with how the enemies were advancing. Uh, there, It gets to a point where, so loot is in chess. You have three types of chess. You have a chest that is unlocked by a puzzle. You have a chest that's just out there in the open, which only normally has money in it. And then you have a chest that's, Mm, excuse me you have a chest that's guarded by enemies typically difficult ones and then you have like a chest that can only be unlocked by a certain time of day but anyway the whole point of these different chests is that the harder the chest is the better the loot is but it's always random so i kind of i kind of got lucky with uh some of the the chests that i unlocked had items that i never deviated from because they actually offered the best bonuses for my play style so yeah uh, so i was able to stay ahead of uh the leveling up and the different things. And by the time I fought Typhon, it was actually a battle that was over pretty quickly. So um, it, it wasn't even on hard. So it wasn't like, I don't know, like the game levels appropriately, but it hard is actually a good challenge, I thought. And I'm just a casual. So 
that's why I say that. Just keep it in mind. Um, but yeah, yeah. Well, that's a perfect segue then into the combat itself. What did you think of it? Was was it even at the hard difficulty? Maybe a little too easy. No, no. At hard difficulty was perfect for me, at least, because okay. if, if I wasn't paying attention, if I wasn't minding my uh, my steps, and I wasn't dotting my eyes and crossing my t's. Uh, I would get smacked and you know, I would die. So it, it was it was enough of a challenge. I thought it was good, but the um, the game shines as you unlock more of your like godly powers. Especially, there's two types. There's like generalized combat and traversal abilities, and then there's godly powers, which allows you to do special moves and special attacks and and dodges and different things like that. And the flow of the game really appeals to me. So like smack a hammer here. You dodge really quickly to the next baddie that's over there while one is stunned, and then you smack him a couple times. And if you use your sword, it regenerates stamina, so you can use another godly power. Or if you use an axe, it it, it ups the stun damage, so you can stun more enemies in a closer radius. So, like, different play styles, very unique. Uh, it was either one or the other a lot of the times, but I liked it. I thought it flowed really well. It's it's more fluid than Link is. So, like, you're fighting baddies with Link. Yeah. It's pretty straightforward. Um, but I, I really liked, uh, the, the flow of this game, this game style. It was very flashy and I liked that. So it was, I agree. It was a lot of fun. It was, it reminded me a little bit of without the thud and the crunch, of course, but it reminded me a little bit of, um, uh, I, well, I can't even really say that it's, it's not really the same, but I was going to say Arkham Asylum, but I mean only in the sense that like, I really enjoyed Arkham Asylum, um, and the whole dodge and attack dodge and counterattack, you know, that kind right. of thing. That flow is there. So I, I really enjoyed the combat. What did you think? You've played a lot more combat games than I have. No, I totally agree. In fact, I think that's one of the best parts of this game because it takes a lot of the lessons that I think this team learned from Assassin's Creed Odyssey and puts its own spin on it and keeps like enough of t- enough tools at your disposal to make sure that you can vary things up. And then they have all kinds of different enemies that also keep you on your toes. Like the first time I faced um, like the flying, the, I don't know what those things are called, but the, the harpies, I think yeah, what they yeah. like that kind of, you know, threw me for a loop and I had to kind of learn air combat at that point. And especially the like bigger ones, those ones can be a little bit more difficult yep. to take down. And there's like a boss version of them uh, in a couple places on the map too, that, uh, will really test your limits. But then at the same, like when you run into a um, chimera, like that that enemy is going to attack differently and, and use its multiple heads in different ways. And then they have the automatons in the Hephaestus part of the map that attack differently and will shoot missiles, I'm pretty sure. Yep, um, no, you're right. If I remember correctly. And each of them kind of make you vary up how you attack. You can't just be aggressive and you can't just be on defensive either. And the game, you have a parry, you have a dodge, and if you do the perfect dodge, everything slows down. You kind of are able to, you know, assess things a little more and then take them out a little more effectively. And then, you know, depending on the group of people, like, you may want to focus on the big guys first or maybe whittle down some of the smaller guys in each encounter. And despite the fact that there's a lot of enemies just strewn about the map, and so you're going to be fighting a lot, it was always enjoyable. And I was an axe guy myself, so I put like all of my armor kind of to help benefit the axe, and then also 
you know, uh, upgraded the axe as much as I possibly could at the beginning. And so I really focused on stun, like get them to their stun and then, you know, go from there. So that was kind of my tactic for most of the game. And it was fulfilling every time. Yeah. In, I would say in a way, like, like Batman Arkham Asylum is, uh, of course it's different, um, but it, it still was incredibly immensely satisfying the entire time, which is hard to do. It, and it, and it, it does become a little bit secondhand, you know, like you get used to it and you get you into the flow. But I never wanted to avoid combat. Like I wasn't like fed up with it. Like and I'll get that way um, in, just based on this game, on this uh, company's last games. Yes, I, I did right. get that way with their Assassin's Creed titles at times. Yeah. But in this one, no, it was so much fun every time that yeah. I was just like, yeah, let's jump into it big giant group of people yeah let's go that was my favorite um, yeah dealing with like multiple different types of enemies and just jumping into a, a big group of baddies right in the middle and saying let's do it like that was absolutely it was it was a lot of fun definitely yeah because you could yeah, master and, the controls and it's really quick and yeah totally agree mm-hmm. and phoenix has a specific cadence to her yep that and the whole game kind of does just like your movement in general is slightly different from mm-hmm. any other game i've played but once you get the feel of that like it works really well and, um, you know, you can be like running, jump, do a dash and then like pull out your weapon and smash them from the air and then just like jump into it and have a good time. Oh, yeah. Uh, so really enjoyed the combat for sure. And it, and it kept up with the game, too, I would say. It keeps giving you a little bit more and you're constantly gaining enough of the collectibles to continually improve your armor and your weapons. And it through that just continued to feel fresh and enjoyable along with the enemy variety. So my, I loved it. Yeah. My favorite were, were the uh, legendary bosses. So essentially these were, so like uh, there was a boar that killed Apollos in the myth, right? Or, or, right. or, or something like that. And I found him very early on in the game. Like one of the first places that I explored was him and I was just determined to beat him and I died. I can't remember how many times. Because you have to get used to the rhythm and the cadence of each of these different baddies and their their whatever else. And then once you get it down and you finally defeat them, even though like you're at the beginning of the game, you have no right to beat this thing. <laughs> um, it was is super satisfying the way the characters die, the way you know they fade into nothingness and go back to the vault. Yeah, I love the animation of them like flying off and have yep. a trail, and then they just like poof. Yeah, you get a little bit of a limp body kind of a thing too. So if you smack an ogre around, he flies back, hits a wall, and falls as he dissolves, you know. Um, Very, very satisfying for sure. Um, There is also this unique, like, so you talk about the cadence and you're talking about you sprint and you jump and you double jump and then you glide a little bit to the next platform. And it's very, it can be very complex and fluid once you master it. I really enjoyed the traversal part of the game for sure. Yeah, works really well. And it has like the Breath of the Wild climbing stamina. And in battles, like you mentioned, you kind of have to be paying attention to your stamina and how you uh, use that. Yep. Um, what you're dedicating the different like stamina bars to, what moves you're using, and then how you replenish it and so forth. Um, and same with your health, you know, you got to be paying attention to that and how you replenish it and whatnot throughout the entire thing. Yeah. And then thought- they have a couple potions that they give you too. Yep um to boost your defense and boost your attack which i always would use in those difficult encounters you know to give myself an edge yep and um, it really was just an encounters. edge it was it's very balanced like they, they're not you're not going to be op in any of these situations even towards the end of the game if you've leveled up everything so by the time i faced typhon i literally saved him for last 
I had the max amount of stamina. I had the max amount of health. And, um, I had, I had beaten all of the wraiths. So you get a special armor set when you do that, which is actually one of the disappointments of the game. And we'll, I'll get to that in a second, but like, you'd never actually get to the point where you're OP. Yeah. My battle with Typhon was quick, but only because I had mastered the cadence of the character at that point, not right. because I was OP. Does it make sense? So it, yeah. it was just different. So it was, um, it was fast for that reason. But when you, um, but when you're talking about traversal and, and different things like that, there's so much that you can unlock that you really can make the character whatever you want it to be as far as combat and speed and abilities go. Um, one of the things that you can do is, um, like, there's an armor set. Once you beat all four of the major heroes, which have been corrupted by Typhon, which is, like, Atlanta, uh, Heracles, uh, Odysseus, and... Uh, Achilles. Achilles, yeah. They all have unique fighting styles, the most unique in the game. So you have to get used to all of those, and they don't get any easier. They're just varied. They're, they're multiple uh, styles and combos and difficulty. Um, so, uh, you know, then you get these, these armor sets that are specific. So better armor, better weapons, different things makes your, makes your life easier and complements your play style. But there's this whole, the collectible and customization part of the game are also where it shines. So... You as a you as a gamer, and then you as a kid, I'm sure love to collect things. Am I right? Oh yeah, yeah, of course. <laughs> and this game satisfies that longing so so well. You can collect all different types of armor, all different types of weapons, and it is absolutely gratifying the whole way through. And two, you can keep an armor's perks, but not have to have that customization or, or that armor. Well, sorry, excuse me. You can equip a certain specific type of armor and then customize it so that you look like whatever you want to look like. So Yeah, which I super appreciate. Yeah, me too. So like you could have this cool boss-looking triangle battle axe, but it has the perks of the battle axe that actually goes with like that big old hunk of steel thing. So yeah. like it, it was a it's a it's a customizable game too. Um and then uh you know, I, I just really appreciated that. The graphics and the visuals of this game are super enjoyable. What did you think of the music? So the music didn't really stand out to me, I guess. I mean, I I love I'd agree. Yeah, it just didn't it just didn't register as something memorable. Like Breath of the Wild's music is memorable for mm-hmm. sure. So uh Phoenix was a little bit different. I think they had like a couple of tracks for facing baddies and then, you know, a couple of weak typhon tracks i guess but they were really very much background it was a lot about voice acting it was a lot about what you were seeing instead of what you were hearing i guess so yeah the music was okay what did you think of the the uh horse the horse thing that's a that's a that's a different i don't know you you said it could have been a game changer if you had found it early enough yeah (laughs) that's the problem um i for some reason, I just didn't know that you could go find horses on the map. Mm-hmm. I thought because there's a there's a horse on the title screen, you know, like it's you, a horse, and then the phoenix that accompanies you through most of the game. Yep. And so I assumed that at one point, like in one of the main quests, I would get a horse, and it just never happened. And so, and I didn't think twice about it up until I ran into like this very colorful Pegasus on the on zeus's mountain actually dude you found that one yeah dude that's my favorite horse yeah it's a sweet horse and i was like whoa okay this thing 
I gotta like be able to capture this. Like, there's no way I can't. And like, I looked it up at that point, and I was like, oh yeah, there are like nine different horses that you can find on the map, and oh, you shoot. have to tame them. Like, that's how you get them or whatever. You didn't discover and that thing like, till way late. Then that's yeah, way I was late like, in the game. What in the world? <laughs> I was so mad at myself. So there's um, this, but yeah, yeah. There's a specific horse that Josh is talking about. It's painted red, and its wings are like this rich rainbow. It looks like a macaw, but you can ride it. So it's super yeah. dope, and it's it's like down this ravine in Zeus's mountain, uh, and it's it's the coolest horse in the game. That's the one I use for everything. But what's yeah. cool about the horse is that you can summon them, and just like Phoenix jumps up in the air, she summons it, and it appears underneath her and she hops on it and she can ride or if you're dude, right. if phoenix is a dude for you whatever he can ride it so that's really cool and they often have what's what's cool is that you can summon them in a lot of different places and then ride the horse a certain amount jump off and then use your own stamina so it's like a big stamina boost and it really helps you get around and i'm like i'm a, like sad for you that you didn't discover it until like <laughs> way later on because it can be a big help at times yeah, and I definitely noticed that once I got one. I was like, oh, man, I have been traversing the wrong way this entire time. <laughs> but on the other hand, like that's a testament to the fact that it feels totally good and fine to just be running and flying. Right. You have like right. a, a, your wings, and so kind of like the glide mechanic in Breath of the Wild. like You can just like jump off of a high point and go wherever. Like That worked totally fine for me yep. for the entire game. And then, yeah, once I got the horse, I was like, oh, man, I was missing out <laughs> on this whole other aspect. Yeah, um, but that so was an unfortunate. Thing. I think that's all of the bases, Josh. Do do you have a consensus in your mind of whether this should be in the Hall of Games, or do you have some other comments, or what? Yeah. Um, well, before we make a final decision, were there things that you were disappointed in, like anything else that you kind of had an issue with with the game? I think we've covered most of them. But yeah, the only extra thing I'll say is that it did crash twice. So when I was playing okay. on the Switch, uh, I was it was towards the end of the game when the combat gets way more advanced, and it, it just takes up a lot of hardware to make all of those things work really well, uh, I guess. So it did it it crashed a total of twice uh, on me. So maybe that's just because it's a Switch. I don't know computing power or whatever else. Uh, it has been known to do that. Uh, not the game, but I mean the Switch has been known to not be able to handle things just like as well. Um, but other than that, well, the graphics too were kind of hit not hit or miss but like disappointing at times like that was, was, was going to be one of the things i brought up is yeah. kind of the face animations yep um are very stiff yep and just a lot of the character models themselves are very stiff yep. and so that was noticeable certainly not the prettiest in that regard but the color scheme and the detail in the world is kind of made up for that in my opinion yeah i mean as um, far as the appearance of everything went i was very pleased with how everything looked but as far as the mechanics of the characters were very disappointing. And the biggest disappointment came with the final sequence where they all gang up and have this big yay-yay moment where they beat up Typhoon. Right. Their final boss kills, like Aphrodite's final move or, or Athena's final move, they had the potential to be awesome, but they mm -hmm. ended up doing those movements in a flash of, oh, it was too bright, you can't see it, like a, a white screen, right? And so like that's really disappointing. I, didn't, I don't want that. Like I want you to like full-on own it. Even if you have to cut from being, so, you know, you have like a cut scene and then you have an in-game scene, right? Even if you have to cut from being in-game to make it look awesome as if it's like a movie trailer, you know, like then do that if you have to, but don't half, you know, half do it, you know? So at yeah. times the graphics were disappointing. Yeah. Yep. God of War, this is not. 
Correct. You're not going to get all that Correct. pomp and circumstance. Yes. And it, you can tell it's on a budget. Like the game, it, it just was. Like yeah. they didn't put as much money into this as they would have a mainline Assassin's Creed game. And so right. like that just shows through in a lot of elements. But still, with what they had, I think they do a really great job. Um, yeah. So in regard to whether or not it is in the Hall of Games, you know, I... I think this is one of the most enjoyable open world games I've played in a while. I think it's balanced in that respect. I think it has a lot of other games ideas, sure, but it utilizes them all well and keeps things interesting throughout. The story is a little bit disappointing for sure. Um, but the way that they use Greek myth is a ton of fun. And the, the world itself is kind of, I don't know. You, I, I could write it off. Uh, it didn't blow my mind in the way that like a Breath of the Wild world did. Um, so it's not like triple A tier in that regard, but it was fun. It, it, the game itself has a great loop to it. And so I would say, especially for uh, a, a sleeper hit, like a surprise that yep. I, I yep. going into it just wasn't had no expectations whatsoever for yes. it. It stands up. Um, and I would say we could totally put it in the Hall of Games. Um, my only objection would be that, again, it does kind of just take from a lot of other games' ideas. But in my opinion, it does them in a really great way. Like It takes all of Breath of the, the, Breath of the Wild's ideas and utilizes them well. And also, in my opinion, this is the best Assassin's Creed game I've played in a little while <laughs> which sure, is sure you know something against maybe the assassin's creed series but this one does a lot of what those games do on a better scale certainly with the combat and the puzzles um for sure and yeah so that would be my only objection but otherwise i am totally up for putting it into the hall what about yeah. you no i'm in agreement i would just say the game's shining moments are the combat never breaks down i mean my the switch crashed but that's a little different i'm saying like the way that the creatures punish you makes sense. It's consistent. It's not glitchy. Uh, it's very clean. The combat's very enjoyable. Each each uh, baddie was designed with some thought, with some effort. It's not like different baddies use the same things. You have a, a variety of different characters with strengths and weaknesses. You have boss fights. You have hero fights. You have uh, gods. Uh, you have a great take on Greek mythology. It's not. It's it's not original in almost any sense. But it takes what's already been done and what's already been proven to be good and makes it its own and really owns it and it does that with the greek mythology and the dialogue the voice acting is tremendous which is surprising for a yes. video game um and then it's just super enjoyable and it makes you want to complete the whole thing it's very rare that i want to complete a whole game other than the sake that i like to like finish things um it's it's very rare that i love completing a whole game so it's just fun and that's what games are meant to be so i have no qualms about putting it in the hall either Awesome. Well then, Kachunk, another game entered into the Hall of Games. Immortals Phoenix Rising, well deserved, I would say. Um, really great surprise from last year, and I would highly yep. recommend it. And it's and it's available on pretty much everything. I played it on a PS4. Jared played it on a Switch, and he still had an incredibly enjoyable time. So go for it, pick it up. And yeah, they have some DLC coming out. They're planning on keeping the uh you know the the fr content fresh with it um and so it's a ton of fun you know we didn't even necessarily talk about the puzzles a whole lot the actual pits themselves but yeah they were fun like very inventive in 
in ways that I actually found more satisfying than a lot of the shrines in Breath of the Wild. Totally agree. Yeah, I would um, agree with that for sure. So that part of it is also top notch. So it's just a really great game, a great puzzle game, a great combat game, and it has a lot of that Greek myth that you know and love. So for sure, pick it up. And like he said, it is on sale right now. Otherwise, um, thanks for listening. This has been the 15th episode. Next time, we are going to be talking about Hades, the roguelike combat game. So looking forward to that. Another Greek game in the mix here. So thank you for taking the time this week to listen. I hope you agree with our decision. And if you don't, tell us why. Until then, Jared, any final thoughts? No, sir. It's always a pleasure. All right. Yes, indeed. This is the Video Game Bard, and don't forget to kiss your reprobate fathers. <laughs>